Well, nigga in jail or the penitentiary system, nigga. Yeah, I break niggas' hearts, nigga. I keep telling you, niggas, I'm every whole pet and I'm every nigga's regret. You nigga better take your eyes out for me, nigga, because I'm going to bust your pussies wide open, nigga. Yeah, I know what the analytics say, nigga. Ain't nothing but niggas watching me grab my dick, nigga. I, I can show my dick and you niggas will sit there and watch me. You bitch-ass niggas won't take your motherfucking eyes off me because I am a walking addiction. I got you niggas captivated, mesmerized because I am the motherfucking real-life Django. Farrakhan ain't got shit on me. <laughs> yeah, nigga, he ain't changed no laws, nigga. And he ain't done no time for killing no white boy. When Gaddafi... Told Farrakhan, say, nigga, come over here and get this money. I got up some money for you niggas over there. And then white folks told Farrakhan, you better not go get that motherfucking money. Guess what he did? He had another motherfucking million man march and went to Big and Jay-Z and Beyonce now. I know the con game, nigga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the con game, nigga. Yeah, yeah. I ain't, I ain't begging for no money. I've been doing the work for 10 years in my community, my city, my county, and white folks know that nigga ain't go ask for no money. You can't even give him no money. I'm going to the streets to get the money, nigga. I'm the nigga can get the money out the streets, nigga. I ain't like Farrakhan that got a stage of motherfucking me event way in Washington, D.C. and holler by, we need a thousand men. You niggas still ain't put them thousand men together, but y'all worried about what I'm saying with this big old dick down here in Texas, nigga. Our daddy come down here fucking with me. Suckers. Yeah, I talk shit, I swallow spit, I don't give a fuck about that hip-hop industry, no whack, 100, all that shit you niggas talking, y'all ain't doing no community work, nigga. I'm the community worker, nigga. I'm the community activist. You niggas ain't shit. And you niggas ain't this motherfucking handsome and pretty, nigga. Fresh. Hand out as me, you know what I'm saying? So most of the time, that's what... People, like if it's a street guy, they looking for, if they got bags and they looking for niggas to sign, they looking for stuff like that, you know what I'm saying? So, on the other end, as far as labels, they more look for younger shorties who they can kind of fuck over, you know what I'm saying? That's the new game right now. When you're too smart, they don't really be wanting too much to deal with you because it's like, you're too smart, <laughs> But we can get this little 17, 16, 15 year old nigga that we can blow him up big and really check a bag off his ass because he don't know nothing about nothing. $50,000 is like $500,000 to him, a million dollars to him, you know what I'm saying? Get his ass a few little chains and then shit, let him do a show. But we going to make majority of all the money off his this, off that, this, that. They basically just sucking the motherfucker dry, but they're going to make them super, super famous. You know what I'm saying? So that's why you see a lot of people that was real famous that's younger, not real, real rich. They don't be really rich. You know what I'm saying? You just be like, damn, I thought this person was like rich, rich. But nah, because the labels is getting rich as fuck off this person, but they spoon feeding them. You know what I mean? So... You just gotta have your paperwork in order. You gotta have your management in order. You gotta have your account in order. You have to have your lawyer on retainer. You know what I'm saying? You have to. Um, you gotta have 
if you ask Captain uh, BMI shit together, you know what I'm saying? And it's basically just about. Damn, nigga, fuck you, nigga. Think y'all gonna skirt me and tell me about what y'all gonna do to me? You'll rape my mama. That's been fuck you, motherfucker, nigga. You nigga been pedophile for the longest. You nigga been pedophile as long as your religion been in existence, nigga. You nigga been fucking babies and boys and goats and 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 queers as long as Islam been in religion, bitch. I, I used to be one of you niggas, and I and I refused to stop eating pork. So I said, "Fuck you, niggas." Cause I, listen, I sold barbecue four years ago, and the Muslim niggas used to come through playing like they can taste pork. So one day, I cut the motherfucking chopped beef with pulled pork and served it to Muslim niggas, unbeknownst to them. They didn't know they was eating pork. They were chewing that motherfucking pork. Them motherfucking Muslims can't tell when they taste the motherfucking pork. So I sold them niggas pork for all summer long. Yeah, nigga, now sue me. Yeah, I sold pork till I cut the chopped beef with pulled pork all summer long and not one goddamn Muslim could tell the difference. Because all them bitches is sneaking and eating pork. Or if they ain't eating pork, they suck pussy so they taste buds is thrown off to the pork. Yeah, them there. I, I felt good sneaking and selling them niggas ten dollar chopped beef sandwiches with that pulled pork cut up in it, nigga. Straight disrespecting you, nigga. Yeah, get mad about that, nigga. I did that five years ago, bitch ass nigga. Yeah, go try to skirt me on the internet. All you niggas trying to skirt me on the internet. Catch a plane, nigga, and show up in person and make everybody in the city say, say, them niggas out of New York City looking for you, nigga. Say, it's the niggas out of California asking about you. Do that, nigga, bad motherfucker. Make Farrakhan have a million man march down here. He ain't done nothing in a while, no way, for he getting too old anyway. Yeah, he getting too old. And Facebook don't want to hit a motherfucker. Y'all don't know what to do. You can't listen to him. Yeah, we sick of that old nigga anyway. We want to hear from NBA young boy. Don't nobody want to hear shit from Farrakhan. We want to hear from Fujiano. We don't want to hear shit from no goddamn Muslim, nigga. You nigga can't rap. <laughs> yeah, you nigga stick to providing security at the funerals and, and shaking down rappers. But don't nobody want to hear shit no nigga talking about thumping no Quran. Nigga, we want to hear from Lil Baby. We don't want to hear from you bitch ass Muslim nigga. So shut up, Farrakhan. Don't go inside and talk. Don't come out here and talk. It's a new day, Farrakhan. And don't nobody want to hear no shit about no spaceship go come rescue all us niggas. If a spaceship come right now, I ain't getting on no motherfucking spaceship with no Muslim niggas. I don't trust no Muslim. Maria didn't trust you niggas. I don't trust no nigga that don't eat bacon. And all our life, we was trained and brought up to eat bacon. Any nigga don't eat bacon and suck pussy is an oxymoron to me. Pig 
give it to him like, I nigga gonna give her bacon, stand and put his motherfucking head between the whole leg and suck her pussy. Nigga, fuck you, nigga. Now all you niggas do it. All you Muslim niggas do it. Go quit the pole and suck the pussy. You stupid. You dumb. You ignorant. Fuck you. And fuck your religion, nigga. Yeah, nigga, it's funny to me. It's funny to me. Yeah, and I don't believe none of you niggas is bad enough to come do nothing to me and let the world see that y'all pussies to the white boy. Y'all didn't do nothing for Tamir Rice. Y'all didn't do nothing for Breonna Taylor. You bitch-ass niggas, Muslim niggas, didn't do nothing for Breonna Taylor. Y'all didn't do nothing for Eric Garner. Y'all let the white boy choke the big old nigga out. The big old nigga got his hands up. He's supposed to have been throwing elbows. Get off me, nigga. Bigger than he was, he let the little bitty white boy jump on his back. Them ain't the kind of nigga we are down here. Them ain't the kind of nigga we are. We ain't just laying down. George Floyd is in Indianapolis. He just laid there and let the nigga put his knee on his neck. Nigga, fishes flop out of water. You ever seen a fish when you get him in the boat? He flopping like a motherfucker. He want to get back in the water. Fuck, that nigga didn't want to live. Dope fiend ass nigga. That's a dope fiend, ain't it? The nigga died with fentanyl in the system. And the best thing could have happened to him is for him to die. The nigga left his daughter 20 million. That nigga could have lived to be 100 years old. He wouldn't have been able to leave his daughter 20 million. He couldn't have never been able to leave his pretty little daughter 20 million. They done that baby a favor. He wasn't shit. The nigga was in and out of jail. The nigga kicked in a dope, boom. That nigga kicked in a motherfucking dope. And put a gun to a black woman's belly while she was pregnant, robbing them. How you know that ain't his fate? He wasn't trying to redeem that. He went to making porn with white bitches. The nigga was a porn star. What's like this? So, let me tell you something, Stack Five. Basketball playing ass nigga. Big old tall nigga. Fuck your brother, nigga. And fuck you too, nigga. Say, listen, if he was your brother or he was your nigga, what in the fuck that nigga was doing downtown in Indianapolis with a fake $20 bill? You must have loved that nigga that much. Nigga, I got some people I can go get $20 for, nigga. And I ain't got to go try to pass no $20 bill with no dope fiend nigga and no dope fiend bitch. That <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all see how icy a nigga is, though, man. When I want to look at myself, man, I just look at myself in the mirror, though, man. You know what I'm talking about? Make sure I look that. I got to look presentable. You hear me? So I look at myself. I got to make sure everything on point, man. You know what I'm talking about? And I cool. I see. 
I got my feet, I got my feet out of everything, folks. You feel me? I ain't capping. I'm back here though, man. You know what I'm saying? I wish they had a look. And if I get hungry, like I'm, I'm down there finna go get me some root crisps or something, right? So what I do, right? These, these, these same way. These the same thing that come on a plane. So you know what I'm saying? You, woo, you feel me? I put my root crisp right here. Start blowing. You feel me? I put the root crisp right here. Why the seat massager? You hear me? And go crazy. <laughs> oh, I ain't faking. But yeah, this is what we do though, man. You know what I'm saying? I got the headphones in there. If you if you wanna if y'all wanna join me one of these days, you know what I'm saying? Hop in the car with me. We out of here, man. You know what I'm talking about? This is spaceship gang. We ain't doing no faking. Oh yeah, show the teeth. We ain't doing no faking. <laughs> yeah, I ain't capping. You hear? There's a remote back in here though, man. We ain't doing no capping. Done. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. You know what messages do you be trying to get out there? Oh, uh, right now, homie, on the internet, I'm all, I'm all character, right? I'm all character and entertainment. <coughs> Excuse me. In real life, uh, I really work with children, and I ain't got to be a character, right? The character just expanded my platform. So, uh, 10 years I've been working in the community. Nigga, now I'm just, uh, now I'm like what they call, I'm retiring. I'm burnt out. <laughs> now, uh, I'm transitioning from being a community guy to entertainment character, YouTube, uh, comedian. And while I'm doing this, connecting people to programs as I travel from city to city. Uh, and people like yourself, hey man, you know anybody work with youth programs? Here I got the youth program. So somebody interview me, homie, they don't just get a, a interview. They get a guy that can give you youth program to help this person over here. Uh, we got a trucking company, you know somebody with a trucking, you know, so uh, so now nah, homie, right now I'm just playing for the, for the movie deal I done got. Uh, so this shit done went Hollywood and, 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 and entertainment and celebrity now. So uh, fuck the community, my people shit. Nigga, I did it for 10 years. I'm tired. I'm ready to retire. <laughs> Let another motherfucker take over. Plus, motherfuckers like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, them niggas died broke with that community shit. <laughs> Everybody talking that my community shit. Undergraduate and graduate institution. We should be indifferent to where you went to school. We should only care about how you ranked, because it's so, if it's so devastating to be anything in, in anything other than the top third of your class, I don't want you if you weren't in the top third of your class, right? Now, I'm being playful a little bit here. But the point is that we have, do you see how we have allocated our strengths and our, our, our notion of what is an advantage and what is a disadvantage are allocated in an irrational way. We've, we have, we've become obsessed with the advantages of prestige, but we have not paid attention to the disadvantages of prestige. And that's a mistake. Some people seem to get motivated by being surrounded by people 
smarter than they are, right? So that's well, not, sort of... Not economics PhDs, apparently. Hmm. Um, no, I mean, I would have... I, intuitively, I agree with you, yeah. right? I want to find reasons to like elite institutions. All my friends went to elite institutions. Should I have children? I would want them to go to elite institutions. You know, we're all powerfully... But the problem is that when we go and systematically look for those advantages, we can't find them. So there's a long, I don't go into my book, but there's a long and rich tradition um, in economics um, in which people hunt for the value of an, elite, of an elite education. And they can't find it, right? So we know that uh, it is the case that a student who goes to Harvard earns money, more money in the course of their career than a student who goes to the University of Tennessee. Okay, but that doesn't tell you anything at all. What you really need to do is to find two students, both of whom go to, get into Harvard, one of whom goes and one goes to the University of Tennessee, and then see what, compare their career earnings. And when you equalize for the person, you can't find any difference. In other words, it's not that, that Harvard is making you earn a lot of money. It's the kind of person who gets accepted by Harvard makes a lot of money, right? And then there's an even cleverer line of thing, which there's now been like 10 studies on this, and it's so interesting, which is they now look at elite high schools. So what is the benefit of going to a selective high school? Now, intuitively, you would think there, it must show up. There must be some, you must be able to see whether in test scores or the quality of the college you go to or somewhere we must see some impact of that. And we can't find, uh, we can't find any advantage. It just, everything seems to, once you do that equalization thing, um, uh, you... If you are a smart kid, in other words, it doesn't matter what school you go to. Um, you'll, you know, smart is smart, um, which is intriguing um, finding. What do you need? Thank you. Um, I want to switch topics a little bit. Um, you know, you do a remarkable job of popularizing uh, social sciences and. Uh, by the way, I forgot to introduce myself. Uh, I'm Prasad Sethi. I'm part of People Operations, and I lead the analytics group, which is composed of many social scientists uh, who, who love the fact that uh, Malcolm's work and uh, you know gets gets their kind of thinking into the public limelight. Um, how do you? distill and aggregate all of this research that's done in the social sciences and come up with what you think are the most uh, cogent arguments. Because uh, as you mentioned, there are lots of studies done on similar topics, and some of them are uh, point towards one direction, others point towards a different direction, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're looking for trends in the research. Um, and. So, for example, the studies I was just mentioning about trying to measure the value of elite schools, that's a very clear trend. And you've got a cluster of studies that have been done in the last two or three years using pretty rich data sets that are all coming to roughly the same conclusion. 
So when you see that, because that's the sort of thing I'm looking for, is what you want to steer clear of are the one really wacky study that is sitting all by itself. Um, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just you have to be approaching with more caution. But um, there's no shortage. I mean, the thing that's fascinating about being a sort of a student of academic research is that um, the number of things that on an academic level are being ideas that are being um, pursued and conclusions that are being drawn that are quite dramatically at odds with conventional wisdom is enormous. There, if you're in the game of, in other words, looking in academic research for ways to challenge the way we think about things, there's an embarrassment of riches out there. I mean, it's not hard to do. So um, to me, what always amazes me is how much um, fascinating and useful material um, lies buried in academia. It just never sees a lot of day because no one uh, bothers to go and, and write about it and popularize it. I mean, it's astounding how, then, you know, if you talk to academics, they have the list of things that they think that the rest of the world is doing long. It's like, it's like this long, right? Um, so it's like it's, 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 it's not a very difficult process to, um, to, to dissolve. Yeah. Um, related question, uh, you use a lot of stories to bring your thoughts to life. And the stories add a lot of emotional richness, and you can really connect with them. Uh, but how do you how do you ensure very very hierarchical way, or you can choose not to. Um, the other thing that it would tell you is it would it would say something about whether about the size of teams as well. I mean, it would seem to argue. I would think, um, although maybe not. It says it's really about the structure of of teams that to the extent that you can keep things that, um, that are as flat as possible, I think you minimize the damage caused by um, hierarchies. Hi, thanks for coming to speak. So I just started in people operations about a month ago. And since I've been here, I've had a lot of people recommend uh, Strength Finder and other books like that. And I've taken a look at it and I can't help but think that Things like that are kind of, uh, as the great skeptic James Randi said, flim-flam, mm -hmm. um, or like modern-day uh, pseudo-social science. And I'm wondering what if you have any insight into those, because I know companies spend a lot of money buying those kinds of books for their yeah. employees. I have, uh, I have to confess I've never read any of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, um, I know that they're very successful. Um, in, sell, in sales or in it's, what they set out to in do? In sales. No, um, <laughs> um, but I, I guess I would only say it, it should, it's interesting, though, that there is such a hunger for that kind of thing. You know, people, I always say this, people are experience rich and theory poor, mm -hmm. that most people necessarily um, lack access to organizing principles in their life. Um, if you're not immersed in the world of academia and you don't have the leisure to produce, to follow and 
acquire grand theories, you don't have theories to explain things. So whenever there is someone comes along with an explanatory mechanism for something that is that your experience rich in, it's enormously attractive. Um, so that you know, if that's a lousy, if strength finder is lousy, it's incumbent on us just to come up with better and more sophisticated ways of. Um, but it's it's clear that there is a massive demand for something um, to allow people to organize their experience. Hey, Malcolm. My name is Mike. Thanks for being here. Um, my question is kind of going back to the value of elite institutions again. Um, so, so you talk about how someone who goes to Harvard, someone who goes to University of Tennessee, they are intrinsically going to do the same if they're um, you know, on the same intelligence level. So I guess my question is, you know, you hear you're kind of the average of the five people you hang around. You surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. You will naturally elevate your level. Do you believe in that or do you believe that's kind of, you know, it seems like your theory is, is kind of uh, puts the merits towards that, you know, yeah. thought process. Well, there's a, so a couple of things. One is that um, one of the implications of that argument is that there are a lot more very able people at um, non-elite institutions than we think. And actually, this is kind of a fascinating thing. So to take a step backwards, uh, the larger question is, how efficient are elite educational institutions um, in as search engines for talent. What percentage of the of qualified students do they actually uncover and... And the answer is, we used to think they were very efficient. What we have discovered recently is they're actually quite inefficient. In other words, enormous numbers of very, very intellectually capable people never even come close to the 250 top colleges in the country. So non-selective colleges have a much larger share of, uh, of the intellectual aristocracy than we would imagine. So that's so, so to your question, if you go to the University of Tennessee, you can find lots and lots and lots of very, very intellectually cap capable people to hang around with. And you probably will grab, if you are that kid who could have gone to Harvard, you will probably gravitate to those five. The difference being that so you'll be surrounded by peers who maybe every bit is able. The difference is that you will almost certainly be the top of your class as opposed to running the risk of being in the middle of the bottom. So you're getting two um, benefits, intellectual benefits, as opposed to maybe only one. Um, the other thing, of course, is that, uh, well, I'll leave it at that. There are many, many parallel arguments along these lines. Now, of course, not everyone can follow the strategy. If everyone does it, it ceases to work, right? <laughs> everyone can't go down a notch. Or <laughs> So the whole thing is, I, if you're going to follow the strategy, do it quick before I sell too many books <laughs> and the advantage is wiped out. But uh... <laughs> Okay, thank you. So you said in response to a previous question that it would be useful to eliminate some hierarchy so that you get rid of this problem of people being at the bottom. But how do we know that's the bigger issue as opposed to it's just a great boost to people when they are at the top? 
And if that was the predominating factor, then maybe we should just have more awards or more way to recognize people. Oh, I see. Oh, you mean have a kind of pretend hierarchy where you give everyone a pat on the back? Or maybe we should have even more levels of hierarchy. Oh, I see. Well, but the, you know, the, um, so the classic study, and I have to see if I got this right, the classic study in this regard, which I talk about in the book, is this famous study that was done in this, the largest psychological study ever in the United States was done during the Second World War of American soldiers. And one of the most interesting insights was a comparison of, um, uh, of commissioned officers in the Air Force, the Air Corps, the precursor to the Air Force, and commissioned officers in the military police and the question was, who was more satisfied with, uh, um, with their promotion prospects, the openness of their uh, institution to rewarding talent? Be in this person's life and deal with this person in order to get valuable intelligence from them. Right. Because I that was super interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, for me personally, part of that's like, what's the greater good here, right? Like, maybe you're dealing with this horrible person, but what are they giving you for the greater good? I think on the other hand, like most people, so I worked with a lot of refugees and there are absolutely horrendous stories about what happens to people who become refugees before they become refugees, right? So you read all these horrendous stories of, like, child soldiers and, you know, like, neighbors turning on neighbors and rape being used as a weapon of war. And you're like, like, there are so many scenarios out there that the average person who lives a comfortable life does not even, like, cannot even comprehend and when you're in a scenario where essentially every decision is would be considered a bad decision, where like in your black and white, it's all black, you still have to choose. And you have to be comfortable with whatever that choice is. Like you can't just stand there. You have to make a choice. So you can't put everything into a good and bad bucket. There's a giant gray area of, um, you know, like if, if I have to choose between, between dealing with like some kind of horrible person who has ties to terrorism. And I know that they are going to be able to give me information that stops an attack that saves 50 lives like, you're going to give that dude money. You're going to take him out. Like, you're going to be friends with him because he has the ability to do good on the other end, whether he knows it or not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, those are the real-life choices. That's what happens in real life. I think that when you are living... I mean, and I, I live a comfortable life. I just happen to have had the exposure, right? I think when you're living a comfortable life and you're not exposed to the, like, to the realities that are out there, it's easy to judge. It's easy to judge and be like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that. Okay, well, when you are in these situations and you're standing there and you have to make the decision, 
let's see what your decision actually is, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to change, I think, your idea. Like, you have to shift from what's right and wrong to what is the objective, right? Especially mm -hmm. when you're doing stuff for the, for the government, like military, CIA. Um, like, what is the objective here? What is the mission here? And how do you accomplish that? It's not about what do I personally think is right and wrong? How do you obtain your objective? How do you complete your mission? Because right. that mission is serving all of us. Right. Like whether we know it or not, there are missions happening right now that maybe we would disagree with, but they're serving us, they're protecting us. Right. So. Yeah, I, I had a one guy on here who was, uh, he was a, a drone pilot. Yeah. It, it, for flying those drones over Yemen, those killer yeah. drones. And he was like, he was recruited by, I believe it was the Air Force that was uh, that was heading that program. But he was said he was like 19 years old, 18 yeah. years old. And, and they were having him pull the trigger on these drones that were blowing up, you know, people. Yep. And him yep. being 18 years old, watching people get, you know, blown up. Yep in countries like Yemen or whatever. And mm -hmm. it scarred him. I mean, it really messed his head up. Yeah. Having to make those decisions yes. and, or whether he was making the decisions or not, he's probably following orders, like right. pulling the trigger on those drones and, yep. and watching these people suffer, like on the, mm -hmm. watching the infrared camera, these people like crawling and bleeding and yep. yeah. that and stuff so, can be terrifying to you, like so, to any, any human. Right. And think about like, like, all the people involved in that decision, right? So he was pulling the trigger. So he probably felt directly responsible, but there's a chain of command, right? There are other people making that decision. People who found that location to target, like the guy in charge who makes the decision to target it, who like people who know that that house might have the guy's kids in it. Do we target or not? Right? Like, there are, t there are there are tons of people who are involved in this decision and it there are so many factors that weigh in right and i i don't it's 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 a sad reality right like i i don't advocate collateral damage in war but it happens and it's a reality and people have to make those decisions war is not clean and it's just unfortunate. And I, um, when we were working, uh, we were working in the Middle East and I was working with a Delta Force guy and he was the nicest guy ever, like a family man. He, um, he had actually like his own nonprofit that like helped women learn self-defense and just the nicest guy and he was teaching this triage class and starts telling this story about, you know, missions where he went in, like, his missions were specifically to go in and kill people, right? Like, you and your team are going to go into this place, you are going to kill the people there, like, you know, very close range shooting or hand-to-hand -hand combat, like telling stories about team members that he lost on those missions. Um, and so I asked, I asked him, I was like, 
what kind of psychological care do they give you? Because there's no way. So for the CIA, they do a ton of psychological testing. Beforehand. Yes, before they hire you. So I'm assuming that part of all the special forces is... This, the policies that are made mm-hmm. and you know how effective they are. Yeah. And I think it was it might have been part of uh one of Snowden's recent documentaries where he mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely I mean, I believe in checks and balances, right? And I think that there should be checks and balances in place. There should be reviews in place. I think sometimes that either doesn't happen or it goes, you know, there's just too much um pressure um like the whole uh, you know, waterboarding. Um, you know, and I, there, I don't agree with everything the government does, but. Well, know. I mean, it is kind of interesting that he is in Russia right now, <laughs> and he's living like normally yeah. in Russia. I mean, do you think there's some sort of like weird leverage thing going on between Russia and the United States by by Russia mm-hmm. letting him stay there? My guess is that they he my guess is that he knew enough leaving that it was worth them keeping him. So I mean, it's not it's not like it's going to ruin the relationship between the U.S. and Russia. He's like in the grand scheme of things a small potato, but he having him there and having his knowledge, you know, is beneficial for Russia. Like, they can spend years asking him questions about things right? because he lives there, and they've given him... Is he a citizen now? I think so. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but... So, yeah, it's it's in their best interest. It's like no skin off their nose to let him live there, and it's in their best interest to have him there and have access to him and I wonder what they questions. Would, I wonder what they would do, though, if the U.S. said that they would we would take him back and basically wipe him of all his Mm. his charges i wonder if they would let him come back that's interesting i don't know they probably would i mean how beneficial would it be for them like they already they already know in theory because i don't know the man but they know he's not like strictly loyal to the United States right. government, right? So why not let him come back, see what it more information even, he can get? It might even be risky for the United States to let him back because they might think yeah. that he's now, you know, working for Russia or providing some sort of yeah, in, I mean, information to other countries now. I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, he'd be followed by FBI forever. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is, in your opinion, what is like the overarching view of the United States from these other countries that you visited? So. Like what is their perspective? I'm sure you spent a lot of time talking to a lot of different people. Yeah. So um, I can speak mostly for Asia. um, And the perspective there is really interesting because the United States has a lot of influence throughout Asia. Um just historically from World War II. Um, but China is their actual neighbor. And China has a longer history with all of the Asian countries, so like East Asian, Southeast Asian. And it's really impressive to see the fine line that 
the like ASEAN basically countries walk, right? Like they want, they don't, <laughs> China's aggressive, so they don't really want to be like under China's thumb. But the United States isn't going to step up in the way that they want them to step up all the time. Um, I know Obama did like an Asia pivot, but that changes president to president, right? Like whatever the focus is changes over time. Where China, like that is their backyard. So China's interested in having control over those countries through trade, having control of the waters for their navy. Um, so it's this really interesting dynamic of, you know, they like the United States. They see us as a power, like a power for good, a power, an ally. But China's sitting right there and they have to, like they cannot ignore China. Like if they had to choose, my bet would always be on China. Like if they ever had to choose between who they were going to back because America's far really? away. I think so. I mean, that's my, from my experience, because, you know, so, sometimes America goes through its moods, right? Sometimes America just doesn't want to be involved and they're like, well, America's not going to back us up. This president, mm -hmm. you know, some like America's far away. So by the time it took us to do anything, like China's literally sitting right there. And then, you know, the culture is a little bit different. Like everything I was saying about, you know, you need to be able to put yourself into the shoes of the Thais, of the Cambodians, of the mm. Malaysians, right? Like, has America done a good enough job? Are diplomats doing a good enough job of doing that to be able to have those discussions, you know? Mm. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's so, it's so crazy how, you know, the different relationships between different, different countries that, mm -hmm. you know, are having to deal with, you know, playing both sides or being a part of a tug of war between country, different countries, just because right. they're stuck in the middle of these two yeah. superpowers, yeah. like, uh, right, you know, right now with Russia and, uh, and the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so crazy. And America doesn't have as much sway as it used to. Um, we're a lot more globalized now. There are other countries that have come up. Um, so like in the, when we were in the Middle East, so I've never been to, I've never actually been to South Asia, but when we were in the Middle East, we were close enough to South Asia. So like India, Pakistan, um, that we, um, we met a lot of people from those areas there and it was fascinating to watch the relationship there like america's not even like barely a consideration um you know on certain things but i mean really like they are dealing with their neighbors like in the middle east and south asia money to make money niggas gotta know that you know what i'm saying i feel like a lot of people you know go through what they go through because most of the times in their head and their mind they have limits i feel like if you re remove the limits that's in your mind, like for instance, if you say, okay, cool, this this month I'm finna make, this is like me, if I say, this month I'm finna make 50,000, then you probably make a little less than that. But if you, if you remove it, you know what I'm saying? If you remove the limit, just, man, I'm finna make, or dream big, like 
make it crazy. Don't just have a low limit to your life with anything that you do. Like always think big, dream big, you know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that. Cause if you put a limit on anything, you're gonna have the limit or lower, you feel me? So cut the limits out or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And always think big, dream big, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say, no matter how successful I get, I'm gonna always be a student to, I'm gonna always be a student to learning success, you know what I'm saying? No matter how big I get, I'm always be a student to learn the success because it's always going to be something that you don't know about that somebody in a better position can teach you. Some people be so like negative to certain situations that they block it out. But me personally, if you want to get successful, you always have to be a student to doors of opportunity that you never open. You know what I'm saying? Like. You gotta ask yourself, why is this person a millionaire? Why is this person a billionaire? Why is this person driving this? Why is this person living like this? That means something that they know that you don't know. So if you become a student of success, student of billions, student of millions, that's how it's gonna open a door for you. You can't be too negative. You can't be, you know what I'm saying? You gotta have confidence in yourself about everything that you do. So me, to you, I'm just saying, be a student, man, to success. Feel me? So I wanted to let y'all know a lot of people be DMing you about this, about that. You know what I'm saying? If you're trying to really get into details about stuff and you need help on anything, just subscribe to my OnlyFans. You know what I'm saying? There's there's going to be something on there you, you want to know or you need to know that can help you because I just feel like... I'm giving y'all secrets to all types of credit ways, primaries, this, that, you know what I'm saying? And I just feel like people just need to know about it, you hear me? So if you want to know, you know what I'm saying, stuff about life and how to get successful and stuff like that, subscribe to my OnlyFans, man, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be in the bio, man. It's going to be, also, go to my Instagram, bandman underscore Kevo, my Twitter, bandman Kevo, you feel me? Make sure y'all subscribe to my OnlyFans. Turn it up. cars right so I just felt like I need a sports car man like you know what I'm saying but not a sports car I need a V12 I need something that's fast but very luxury you know what I'm saying something that'll massage your seats you know what I'm saying something that'll really tee you up the right way though man you know what I'm talking about so I just came up with this way I'm just like okay 
Yeah, let me turn on the seats and really turn this thing up the right way, though, gang. You know what I'm talking about? Let's start this thing up, see how much I can get massage while I'm chilling in the back on recliner. You hear me? Okay, let's see. Let me see. Uh, let me see. Okay. Oh, there it go right there. That's it. That's it. Yes, uh, you dig me? You hear me? This is what I like right here, man. I'm, I'm riding, I'm cooling, gang. You know what I'm talking about? What I like this is what I like doing. This is what I like doing. I can't. I'm rolling out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Y'all see how icy a nigga is, though, man. When I want to look at myself, man, I just look at myself in the mirror, though, man. You know what I'm talking about? Make sure I look that. I got to look presentable. You hear me? So I look at myself. I got to make sure everything on point, man. You know what I'm talking about? And I cool. I see. I got my feet. I got my feet out of everything, folks. You feel me? I ain't capping. I'm back here, though, man. You know what I'm saying? I wish they had a look. And if I get hungry, like, I'm, I'm down there finna go get me some root crisps or something, right? So what I do, right, these, these, these same way, these the same thing that come on a plane. So, you know what I'm saying? You, whoa, you feel me? I put my root crisps right here. Start blowing. You feel me? I put the root crisps right here. Why the seat massager? You hear me? And go crazy. <laughs> oh, I ain't faking. But yeah, this is what we do though, man. You know what I'm saying? I got the headphones in there. If you if you wanna if y'all wanna join me one of these days, you know what I'm saying? Hop in the car with me. We out of here, man. You know what I'm talking about? This is spaceship gang. We ain't doing no faking. Oh yeah, show the teeth. We ain't doing no faking. Yeah, I ain't capping. You it? This remote back in here though, man. We ain't doing no capping. Done. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Speaking, but like that right there, that's what makes it worthwhile. Wow. Yeah, bro. Wow. Yeah, I got some stories, but that's that's one of my favorites because I remember like the he was sloppy with the weed and it was everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, somebody come in here, I'm gonna be in the news. You know what I'm saying? My local motivational speaker, right, you know, right. brings drugs to school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. Amazing. So, yeah, you're right. It's what you were saying. Like, there's no, I don't think there's another career where you can just, yeah, do that. So, that's why I was saying, even if you take out the impact, I can't think of anything else where you, on the low end, on the low end, 2500 On the low end, the average price is 2500 I ain't charged that in 2500 to five grand. I ain't charged that in a long time, right? So, so being that that's the low end, like, to get that really quickly. Like, one of my guys, Chris, I don't know if he would mind me sharing, but, bro, he's going to do 200000 this year. Mm. Yeah. And one of my guys said he got, huh? How'd you meet him? Before, like, where, before he was 200000 before that, where was he? Uh, he $1,500. I got a video I can show you right now on my phone. I don't know if you can mix in the podcast. My man said, bro, you changed my life. He got his first $10,000 speaking engagement. No, okay. when did, did you connect with him when he was making, what, $1,500? Yeah, he was, he couldn't get past that $1,500 yeah. mark. And so when I showed my video to the one, I was like, oh, boo, that's cool. 
I was like, he a little extra. She's like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Don't make it seem like $10,000, like when we first, our first $10,000 check, like don't act like you wasn't in tears. I said, oh, you right. <laughs> She's like, don't, you know what I'm saying? She's like, don't be acting break. Never came across this motherfucking video. Nigga got me mad like this. You faggot motherfucking bitch. That's what you is, Charleston White. That's what the fuck you is, nigga. Okay? How many times I got to make videos about your bitch ass, nigga? How many times I got to check your bitch ass? I told you, motherfucker, to watch what the fuck you say, you dumb motherfucker. You bitch ass nigga. I don't agree with no motherfucking nation of Islam. The reason why I don't agree with them because they don't believe the same thing that the regular Muslims believe. They are not Sunni, okay? They don't believe what we believe. They don't believe in life after death. They don't believe in judgment day, nigga. The Quran says clearly talks about judgment day and warns you of judgment day, motherfucker. All these books warn of judgment day, okay? Now you sitting here taking a risk talking about God and saying that he don't exist when you don't know what the fuck is out there in the motherfucking universe, you dumb motherfucker, okay? You ain't been on this motherfucking earth, nigga, no more than 40 or 50 years. You old, dope-fiend-looking motherfucker. Probably younger than me. I'm about to be 50 motherfucking years old, nigga. And your ass looks 65, motherfucker. Dope-fiend-ass motherfucker talking all that motherfucking shit. If I don't got nothing good to say about somebody, I'm not going to say nothing at all. If somebody come at me and they got a problem with your bitch ass, then I got to come back and check your dumb ass again. Until you listen to what the fuck people are saying about your stupid ass nigga. I'm going to put up, put in the music. People think oh, I'm going to go to the studio every day and one of these songs going to be a hit. Yeah, one of them songs gonna be hit, but not if you don't got no money. You have to have some money behind the song, period. It ain't gonna work. Nobody's gonna hear. You're only gonna set yourself up for the be these bigger artists who have money to be digging like they do. These bigger artists, they don't do anything but go on YouTube, find artists who don't got no money, and steal their shit. You feel me? They steal their shit. Yes, y'all know. Y'all heard about it. Oh, man, that was my song I made in 2015. That was my song I made in 2014. That is not fake. That's all real. They're going to go take your song and switch that shit around. So, you need to stop putting out that fucking music and get a bag. Get the bag. You get more respect anyways from everybody. From the bloggers, from this person, from that person. They definitely want to see you come from the ground up. But they definitely want you to have everybody, like for me, right? I, like, I'm I'm assigned somebody, right? But me, I need a hustler like myself. You feel me? Like, you, like, when you look at all these other artists who have these guys that they sign, notice that they sign big hustlers. Big time niggas that's getting money. Big, you know, niggas ain't really just going to sign and niggas that ain't got no type of hustle in them because... It's almost like a drag. It's almost like a, you know what I'm saying? It's one of them like, damn, bro, you feel me? Like, niggas is looking for that, that hustling nigga, the nigga that make you excited when they come around because they always get to the bag. That's fun. You want a, you want a fun motherfucker. Like, you know that they ain't always got the. Bro is watching us, homie.
We ain't got no gladiators. We got Floyd Mayweather fighting Paul Logan. Man, we ain't got no niggas looking strong nowhere, homie. <coughs> we got a gay nigga fighting a begging nigga. Homie, the world, nigga, them Russians looking at us, everybody think they can whoop us now, homie. Man, the Mexicans calling us, yeah, we saying nigga, and ain't nothing y'all can do about it. The Asians saying, yeah, we using the word nigga. I dare y'all to say something. You see how much hate I'm getting from the Asian community. They disrespecting me publicly, calling me all kind of, and ain't no nigga saying, man, let's go to war with them Asians. Nigga, we looking weak. Our kids will be spit on, homie. Our kids will be treated like their ancestors 20 years from now. A motherfucker with me and your skin that look like me and you will be spit on by all these other ethnicities <clears throat> in this country, homie. <clears throat> we have to go beg. We got to go to them for our clothes. We eat at their restaurants. I ain't never in my life ate Chinese food. Never. I ain't never ate no other kind of food, homie. Oh, you never ate Chinese food? I never ate Chinese food ever in my life. Is it because you think they use I was raised not to eat them people food. Man, my grandmama them taught us. Man, them people, no. They'll spit in your food. Man, them people don't. With them peppers on that motherfucker look way better than that cheese pizza. (laughs) So, yeah, I publicly ate pork in front of the Muslim niggas in uh, the Imam Omar Sharif. Yeah, so ever since then, I've said, yeah, fuck that shit. <laughs> I was playing anyway. Yeah, my mama, Jesus love it. I really love Jesus. I was just being rebellious because I was mad at God for letting me get locked up for killing that white man. Yeah, I wasn't no real motherfucking Muslim. And don't no real Muslim blow theyself up like the real Muslim. Them the real motherfucking Muslim. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I be... I don't, I don't know what they teaching them, but whatever it is, it's, it's some shit. Cause I don't know no other religion that'll kill themselves. Yeah. These these for these black Muslims, these niggas just playing. These niggas just angry at their daddies and and barking at white folk. You ain't never seen none of these Muslim niggas blow up a car. Yeah, they don't even know. Dedicated for real. Yeah, yeah, them (laughs) niggas just sell newspapers and fruits and wear bow ties. Them other Muslims don't even wear bow ties. Yeah, them other white boy Muslims and long real Muslims, they don't even wear bow ties. They wear dresses. Also, oh, a profit one twenty five yeah, to me. Yeah, it was the best one twenty five ever. Cause I ain't do nothing for it. Well, obviously I worked for it. You know, yeah. right? making the phone calls, reading the documents and stuff like that. But what was the contract? Grease traps. I ain't even know what it was. I got eight grease trap contracts right now. I still don't really know what they do. I just know they go to the canteen. They got these big old holes and they suck grease out of. 
out of a trap. That's all I know. Like, I, I still don't even see it, but that's the first one I won. 125 bucks. The guy, shout out to Mr. Jax. He hooked me up. How'd he hook you up? Because he gave me the game. He was like, no, your price is too high. Go back and give me another price. I did that. He said, you didn't even sign these five documents that you got to sign. Go back and sign all five. But guess what? He, the biggest thing he did, you remember you said, why don't the government just give us the price and then we go from 